And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers, and welcome to episode number 17 of PNR's This Old Marketing. We're recording this on March 11th of 2014. And as we always say, we'd certainly love a review of the show on iTunes. If you like the show, remember this is PNR's This Old Marketing. If you don't like it, well, our show is called Mark Schaefer's Marketing Companion Podcast. <laughs> so, and please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher, email, smoke signal, your local Amazon pickup warehouse, all of those things are available. And all of the subscription links along with every episode's lovely show notes, general awesomeness, and everything we talk about on today you'll find in our show post on our very own, very fancy corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com. And also, as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, a guy who deserves his own three-day festival on South by Southwest. Joe, how are you, my friend? <laughs> Robert, I'm doing fantastic. You, you had me at, at the Mark Schaefer. Now, you can't be doing that to poor Mark. You know, we're oh, gonna, I love Mark. We're gonna I, be, tease, I tease and I kid uh, because I, I love. Well, we're going to be seeing him at Content Marketing World Sydney in a couple of weeks, so you're going to have to answer to him personally. So. <laughs> there, you know. I will answer to the professor myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing fantastic. It's great to be alive. I mean, normally, you know, we record this normally at night, uh, at least yeah. Eastern time, and this is an afternoon session, so I guess we'll see if we're any peppier or... If we have to start drinking earlier or something like that, I don't know. <laughs> so, and what about South by Southwest? I mean, you know, did you, I know you didn't go, but we had a couple of people there. You know, it's interesting. I went the first, well, ever it was, three years in a row I, I went there. I didn't go last year uh, because we were at Content Marketing World Sydney. It was actually earlier last year. Right, and then, right. And then this year just decided not to go. Uh, you know, Peter, our publisher, and, and Kelly, our event director, are both there. Heard, heard good things. It's a great event for us, right? Because all of our vendors are there. A lot of our sponsors and partners are there. And uh, and then from an event side, we just we always love to see how other people put on their events. But I don't know. What, what did you hear? I, I didn't hear as much buzz as, as we have from the past. Well, I got it. You know, I mean, my take on this is that, you know, it's a little bit, to me, it's a little bit like where Burning Man is right now, you know, a little bit of a jump the shark kind of thing. You know, I know there's a lot of people who've now, and in fact, there's a there's a link uh, there's an article uh, in Ad Age that we can link in the show notes here that talks about how it's now really a marketing show, not really a technology show any longer. And you know, I mean, I look at stuff like uh, you know the, the the Oreo had a thing there called the Trending Vending Lounge, and they had a 3D printer printing out you know Oreos with the hashtag Eat the Tweet. Uh, you know, it's I mean. To me, it's like all of that noise and sort of general, you know, sort of craziness. It's just, it, you know, it feels to me like it's a little bit like, okay, you know, is there anything real happening there? And I know there was some real sessions there, but I think it gets a lot of the marketing gets lost in the noise, I think. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree. I think the one thing, though, that I would... I would I would put some more faith in the South by Southwest Interactive. And by the way, I'm reading. I can't remember. I'll have to put it in the show notes. It's South South by Southwest I, and it's the history of South by Southwest Interactive. And I've been reading the ebook because I'm fascinated by events. I mean, I'm like a history buff sure, plus an event course. guy, so I love reading about it. And what I realized in the first couple of years, they actually took a dip. Most people don't realize that, but when Interactive came out, it was called Multimedia. Yeah. And it and it took a dip. It went down. 
And it took up, you know, they had to basically uh, figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. And they did find their way, especially when they went into, you know, of course, Foursquare and Twitter came out and all that good stuff. And maybe they're at that point now. Maybe they're like, okay, well, you know, brands have completely taken over South by Southwest Interactive. So do they need to pivot here? Do they need to move? Do, they, do we have another year with this model? And I think if I'm an event producer, those are the questions I'm asking because, you know, you get 35,000 people down there and they're all scratching their heads saying, where's all the great tech? It might be a problem if people think you're a tech show. Well, that's the, I mean, that, and that's a really interesting point because, of course, as much as I sit here behind the microphone and kvetch about it, you know, I mean, they are getting 35,000 people to go to Austin, you know, and, you know, and being from Texas, I remember going to South by when it was just a music festival. And I used to go down to Austin and, you know, and party for three days and listen to great music and then come back, you know, and come back home. And when they added the interactive piece, it was always kind of like, wow, really? This is, this is what South by is becoming? And then, it became this huge thing. And to your point now, they may need to ask themselves some other questions. But, I, you know, look, they're extraordinarily successful. So all hats off to them for that, you know, for that success. Well, the, the one thing to remember, too, there's they, they actually have a couple other events, V2V, which I think is a venture right. event. Yep. Because what's true is if you are a small startup, you can't get attention like you could in the past. That's true. So that's a problem. It used to be a startup environment. I think it's more of a big brand. I mean, then the article from Ad Age, it says some some brands, they sent 20, 30, 40, 50 marketers. Exactly. Wow. I mean, that's that's something else. And by the way, for those people that sent 40 to 50, Content Marketing World, (laughs) (laughs) September 8th through 11th, we would love to have all 50 of you. And we have discount rates. For, uh, for anyone over four people. So anyways, that just... The last 30 seconds brought to you by Content Marketing Institute. <laughs> anyways, what do we... Let's what get do, to the news. What do we got in the news? Yeah. Well, um, we have a news item that you sent me, actually, which is really, really fascinating. And, I mean, it's something that I have been... <laughs> I've been personally experiencing. Um, it's an article out of the New York Times, and it's about how news organizations are now bringing these games and quizzes to life to try and build their audience. So uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so... So if you... If you were alive at all last week, uh, you saw the Travolta Fiat uh, yeah. <laughs> ga- uh, games that were going on around. And what I didn't realize, so that was a Slate game that Slate came yeah. up with. It was the most viewed article ever in Slate's 18-year history, which, yeah. by the way, blew me away. But I think that the, the interesting thing is these things are coming out from Time, uh, from Slate, and other news organizations. And, and in the article, and we'll definitely put this in the show notes, you've got these editors really talking about, look, we want two things, right? We want something that's newsworthy and something that's interesting. And they're saying, well, we're not just going to cover um, this kind of stuff that's fun stuff, but if it's newsworthy and it's interesting, which I think, I guess, the Adina Menzel... Uh, thing that uh, right. Travolta did, which I felt so bad for Adina and for him, by the way, because I love Travolta. Don't feel bad for Adina. She got more publicity and more marketing out of that 24-hour time period than any of the other Oscar Well, winners. you know what? It's it's funny. I Would she have even been on Jimmy Fallon and done exactly. the cool stuff on there if, if Travolta hasn't done So she should probably send a good Send him flowers. Yeah, exactly. To, to Travolta. But I think what's interesting is, you know, Slate, I think they create 50 articles a day, and this was one of them. 
And I guess, I don't know, I, my question to you is, is this something that brands should be looking at? Uh, should we be organizing around the idea of, I guess this would be more the real-time marketing, but it's not in textual format, right? It's all in gamification. Is there is there right. an opportunity here? Is this just this something we should leave to those with like newsrooms that actually are operating around this kind of stuff? Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing to me is, I mean, first of all, the, the, I, loved, I loved the quote from the Slate editor who was, quote, unquote, bemused at this, right? It was like, yep. sigh, you know? Yeah, that, he's that, really upset that, about the fact right, that this exactly. took off. Like, oh, this is this the most popular page. You know, but, you know, this is what Slate has now become in his mind, right? So, yeah. so there is sort of a double-edged sword, if you will. But, you know... The, you know, they, there's another quote by Nancy Gibbs who who uh, who's talking about how she's remaking her publication into this 24/7 digital news thing, and they're starting to look at interactive types of applications, right? So, and quizzes are certainly one thing. So, whether it's interactive graphics or games or just news that is more interactive where you can sort of change the story by the way that you navigate through it. I think there absolutely is a trend here, which is making things more, you know, lean forward, if you will, rather than lean back in terms of experiencing the news. And it's the way that news organizations are going to have to, uh, you know, really think about keeping their audiences uh, sticky. And I think that's a great lesson for brands because the more we can start to think about how we not only take our content to the next level from a quality storytelling perspective, but how we can start to make it more interactive where we're actually having our audience interact with it, one, helps us measure how engaging it actually is. But two, also really starts to differentiate us out there. So I think it's a, I think as an overall trend, interactivity is a really important thing for brands and for content marketing more generally. Um, but and for newsrooms, it's it's certainly something that's really important. I mean, I, the funny thing is there was somebody who posted on my Facebook wall, which I thought was just great, who said, "I'm just waiting for the which quiz are you quiz, right?" So to be completely meta about it. Oh, I, well, a couple things. First of all, I'm really getting tired uh, when I do go to Facebook, which seems to be less and less these days of how many quizzes there are out there. So we need to move move a little bit away from that thing. I think you could get it's just a little bit too much at one time. I mean, as much as I love Travolta, I mean, come on. Um but I think this is the USA Today cover uh research, right? It's it's sort of like yeah. the USA every day you had you had a piece of of data that USA Today would make pretty and put in the bottom left-hand corner. And then this has evolved into infographics. And now infographics are sort of dying down. And here's what, we're, here's what we are now, right? We're taking data and we're doing something interesting with data. And then how do we get them to interact with that? And I think that's what you know, brands are really, that's what we're struggling with, right? How do we, we have all this data. We have all this content. We have all this stuff that is interesting and can be linked to what we want to do. But more than anything else, I guess that's what I got out of this article was, if you are a news organization, you can ask is, if it's newsworthy, is it interesting? Because really what you want is eyeballs because most of the time you're still compensated on advertising and sponsorship. But a brand, you also have to ask, does it achieve our goals? Right. Does exactly. it achieve our site goals, brand goals, content marketing goals, whatever? So who's ever doing this out there, make sure you ask yourself that question because it may not be about likes or web traffic or anything like that. That's just not good enough for brands because at the end of the day, we've got to sell something. That's exactly right. That's good. What consumer behavior are you changing? There you go. Absolutely. All right. On to the next story. And this one is, I mean, this one, I don't know. 
this one just truly amused me. And I, I just I, – I mean, so I had to bring it for the show. So there is a new agency. Um, the article comes from Business Week, which, of course, we'll put in the show notes. And it's about this new agency uh, in Europe that is bringing German philosophers to bear on marketing, which just, I mean, made me crack up because before I even clicked on it, I I thought, you know, I was going to go in and see a bunch of Nietzsche, you know, nihilism, like marketing is dead. We don't care about marketing. Nobody wants to see marketing anymore kind of thing. But it's actually worse because they actually start the article off by talking about Martin Heidegger, which is existentialism at its most existential. I haven't wrestled with Heidegger since college when I was in my philosophy classes. So it's like when the article starts out like that, I know we're in trouble for like, okay, this is going to be like really hard for me to understand. But basically the I, the article is about how they have these 70 consultants and most of them are – coming out of sociology and philosophy and political science, history, anthropology. And they're doing all of these things like looking at buyer personas and, you know, looking at them like anthropologists would and doing their research and sort of taking this whole thing. And it just seems like overwrought to me, quite frankly. I mean, about the whole thing. I mean, it just seems a little too snooty for for my taste. You know, this is part of those things where I, I look at it and go, really, this is, you know, you're you're talking about things that we should all be doing as marketers, but you're talking about it in a way like we couldn't possibly understand how to go out and research our consumers. But having said all of that, there I think they are doing something really valuable here as it pertains to content marketing, which is – and the guy who actually is quoted – I think he's the CEO of the company who says basically – and he's speaking to how they're using data to help brands figure stuff out – is he says, I'm not looking at big data or little data. I'm not looking to try and figure out what's useful or convenient for people. In other words, I'm not trying to figure out how we can be more useful or convenient necessarily from a product perspective. I'm interested in what's meaningful. And that does get to a really interesting philosophical sort of discussion. But that's really the sort of key takeaway for me is that He's interested in driving into products and their strategy about what's going to drive meaning, deeper meaning. And when we start talking about big data and analytics and measurement and marketing and all that kind of stuff, that's really where we have to be focusing. So of all of the sort of, you know, weird sort of existential philosophy, that is something I think you can actually go sink your teeth into. I get you're so funny <laughs> with this. There is this is actually some really good insight into this article, and it, I thought that you were going to go completely hundred percent negative. So you you did show a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So that <laughs> that what I appreciate. Now there's a couple things I got out of this, and the, it was the two examples that they you know this agency, which is I think is called Red, yeah. worked worked with Lego and worked with Samsung, which sort of were. This is we just talked about this right about the the news organization saying is it newsworthy or is it interesting, and according to this philosophy they'd say that doesn't matter right. What we right. want is meaning. What is the real meaning behind it? And so they use Lego and say, look, Lego was going years ago. They were going to make much easier um, uh, to to go after more people to more kids. Uh, so they built easier sets. And Red argued said, no, we don't want easier sets. We want harder sets because it's about the journey. And it's about these kids going through the process. It's just like if you, you know, for those people that talk to black belts in Taekwondo, they'll tell you that getting a black belt is not about receiving the black belt. It's about the journey to get to the black belt. So that's what, you know, whether Lego should have known that or not, Red found that out. The other great example was Samsung, which 
I didn't, you know, I'm not in the consumer electronics business, but hearing about that example where Samsung, at there was a time, they were building the biggest, the flashiest televisions out there because they thought that consumers wanted show me pieces. They want to say, oh, this is a, the, you, you need to get the biggest, it needs to be the biggest, and you have to put it in your family room and you want everybody to see it. But what they found out is these uh, anthropologists kind of placed themselves around that people wanted to hide them. They were doing all kinds of things to hide the gaudiness of the big screen, and they were treating it more like furniture. So, yeah. so basically, they said, Samsung, you're not in the television business, you're in the furniture you basically, right. you have to think about it like furniture. And, and when they made that pivot, it completely changed and revolutionized their business. So Samsung just talks about these people like crazy. So I guess from, from a content marketing standpoint, I guess I would almost look at when you do your content audit and when you look at your content marketing mission statement, you don't focus on, okay, what's newsworthy? What can get us? What's interesting for us? It's what, how can we create more meaning for our customers, I think is, and that's, I think how we create better customers, right? I think that's exactly right. You know what I mean? And that's the real takeaway for me from a content marketing perspective of this article, which is, you know, we talk about this a lot in the workshops that we do when we actually do this exercise, getting to the content marketing mission, where we talk about, you know, something that, you know, Professor Theodore Levitt, who was a marketing uh, professor out of the University of Chicago and then went to Harvard and all of that. But he talked about in his piece, Marketing Myopia, what business are you really in? And that's something that as marketers we can sink our teeth into, right? Because we're not in the business. For example, Samsung's not in the business of producing TVs. They're in the, they're in the business of producing, you know, furniture in this case or, you know, beautiful lifestyle, um, you know, uh, accessories that sort of make our lives better. And that's one of the biggest reasons that Apple is such a beloved brand is because they really understand what, what, you know, why, when meaning the important question there, they are in business in the first place. And the marketing people really understand that. And so when we start thinking about the content we're going to create for our users and customers, beyond being useful, which is always an amazingly uh, 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 good goal to reach for, we need to understand what value we can create, why we're, you know, why our approach or why our business is in business to begin with. What value can we bring to customers? And that's really the key of creating great content and creating a great business. You know, one thing on, we talk about useful all the time and we talk about our friend, you know, Jay Bear and utility and, and hats off to him and, and, uh, and everyone that talks about, boy, you need to have useful content. Isn't that just a, that just gets us into the game, right? It, I mean, isn't when we talk about kind of the evolution of content marketing and how we're becoming publishers, it better be useful. It's, yeah. it's like not even like, oh, you should create a whole section of content that's useful. No, that just gets you, that just gets right. you a seat at the table. Now, right. now you have that opportunity. So I'm almost like, and, and that's where I think that we're struggling for like what's next in this industry because we've got to be thinking a little bit more out of the box than, than just that. I don't know how I got on that side note, but I just that, that's what I keep. Well, maybe thinking you about. read the abstract. You maybe you read the abstract from my talk at Content Marketing World Sydney called "The Four oh. Archetypes of Content Creation." <laughs> uh, who planned the Who planned the agenda for that? I don't. <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to the next. Uh, news item here, which I, and well, anyway, to sum this up that I think, you know, I don't think you have to be an anthropologist or a sociologist or a political scientist to actually go do this work. 
but kudos for them for actually looking for meaning there. How about that? You got it. <laughs> Bring it. Good, good job bringing it home there, Rob. There we go. There so go. the New York Post has our next news yes. item, which uh, I know is near and dear to your heart because print isn't dead. I, th- I hope we've said that on enough shows this, this year. Um, print is not dead. So tell us about this story about how digital publishers are making profits with print. Yeah, and, and this is... Um, this is obviously geared at media companies and publishers, but I want to bring it around to brands. And this is sort of this whole thinking I've been talking about for probably 18 months. And I went to Carl Landau, uh, created a great event uh, for senior executives out on the on the West Coast. And it was all around um, the idea of niche publishing, niche publishers and how we can grow our businesses. And what I didn't know and what I continue to learn is that niche print, so basically really highly vertical, highly focused print publications are actually doing really, really well. I think there's almost a, there's a thought out there that print's not doing well because it's print. print. Print is absolutely alive and well. It's horizontal wide print. And this is what this article goes into. It says that the new models, like take Newsweek, right? Newsweek came back. It used to go to millions and millions of people. Now it's going to 200,000 actually uh, 200,000 people or 250, whatever they're doing. And it's actually starting to be successful because they're focusing on a smaller number of people. And uh, the one thing I thought was interesting is some like allrecipes.com, which was, you know, Meredith's online, uh, you know, multi-million dollar property. They launched a magazine, which I guess is doing very, very well. So I, I guess my big takeaway, I don't know if you've got one, my takeaway for brands is, and this is what bugs me, I guess, because you and I, we talked to a number of them. They don't even mention print as a core uh, opportunity where you look at, I always said, said, okay, we have the three legs of the stool, right? We have print, we have in-person, and we have digital. And for a media company to be really prosperous, we really need to look at what is our play in each one of those areas. I think for a lot of reasons because we've you know print seems to be expensive depending on how you're measuring it and we want to be digital and shareable and social media we've almost just said uh, let's focus really on digital. If we have time, we'll do an event, but we don't have to do any print anymore. I mean, are you are you hearing anybody, any brands that you're dealing with really talk about opportunities in print at all? Well, I actually am hearing a few of them start good. to talk about good, it a little good. more. You know, I mean, I mean, and, and, it, and it comes back to a comment you made on a show. I think it was a couple of couple of shows ago where you talked about the opportunity. We talked about the opportunity of uh, the mailbox, right? The physical mailbox, yep. not the, in, the digital inbox, but the physical mailbox where. You know, over the years, because print has become such the you know stepchild of 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 marketing, our physical mailboxes are pretty empty these days. And so, there's an opportunity to there to kind of differentiate and create you know um, great content pieces that go out through print. So, I actually am seeing a few, especially in B- the B two B space, where they're giving some print materials to literally the sales guys, where they can actually walk around and hand these things to people, <clears throat> because there's this real visceral sort of experience that you have with a print magazine you know i i i think it's i think you're absolutely right it's a huge opportunity i mean this you know it reminds me of that famous quote that i love so much these days and i can't remember who said it but you know it's not it you know it used to be that there are thousands of markets with millions of people and now there are millions of markets with thousands of people you know and mm-hmm. and and that's the real thing here is is something that we preach all the time is you don't have to be big you have to be remarkable your content doesn't have to go viral it just has to reach that small number of your audience that it needs to reach in the way that it needs to reach them so if it's 200,000 if it's 2,000 people who read your magazine or read your print 
if it's if they're engaging with it and they're solving the business challenge that you need them to solve for you, then it's it's a great channel. Well, a really good example of that too. Um, won uh, last year's Content Marketing Award of the Year, and we presented at Content Marketing World was TD Ameritrade's uh, Think Money Magazine. And what I love yeah. about that, it targets active. So it's a business publication. It targets active traders. These are traders that are online all the time. So they said, well, we should probably send them something that's not online because they need a break. They're active traders. That's what they do. They're <laughs> exactly. online. And what they found is a couple things, and I can't go through the, all the specifics on it because I don't want to divulge too much information, but not, what they found out is 90% of the people that engage in that publication do some kind of behavior. So some kind of behavior that they're looking for, they do something. And the one thing, and I don't know the exact numbers, but it's something astonishing. The people that get that mag, the traders that get that magazine versus those that don't. And it's some amazing multiple of the amount of, of so much more trading from those people that get the publication versus those that don't. And actually, that's the power of having a subscriber. Because once you have a subscriber, you can actually show return and say, oh, okay, I have a customer list. I have a subscriber. I can actually tell the difference between those that subscribe and the, how much money they spend or what they do versus those that don't. And I think that's if there was a holy grail metric to content marketing. You and I have talked about it before. It's the idea of, hey, look at your subscribers and look what they do differently. And you can really tell a lot about your pa- content marketing path just through that. Well, let me, I, let me I'll, I'll give you one other example, and this is a direct uh, client example of somebody that we've done some work with. It's a financial services company, a small financial services company. So just like um, the one you just mentioned, they, they deal with high-end Wall Street people who are constantly looking into screens, constantly looking into their mobile phones when they're at lunch. They're just constantly engaged with digital content. And so your immediate thought is, let's engage them with digital content. And what this company did was really interesting. They have a very small client list. So it's less than 100 people are on their sort of core client list. And what they did was they set up a book club which was not about how to be a better financial manager, how to be a better investor, you know, how to buy Google High and sell low and all that kind of stuff. And they basically created this book club where every month they email them a printed piece, very nicely done, but not, you know, expensively done, just printed out on a printer of the this month's books that they should that people should and then a little synopsis and then a book. You know, whatever this month's selection is. So they buy 70 books every month for their for their customers. It is consistently in the top two reasons of why all of their customers uh, renew as, oh my as part gosh. of the service. It's wow. just it's just a great thing because they get value out of it. They don't have to think about that. Here's what my peers are reading. Not again, not to be a better investor, but to be a better person, right? So it's got everything from you know the art of motorcycle maintenance in there to the to the you know uh, the the newest investing book to the newest book on you know, the newest great thriller novel, you know science fiction, you know whatever it is, just a great book. And they're all books that everybody's reading and contribute to in this online community. And then they actually physically send out this book to 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 their to their uh, to their subscribers. It's just a great way to to do it. So I guess there's just an opportunity there that uh, we want to make sure that our listeners don't forget. In this digital age, there may be no better opportunity in print because right now, and that's what I've seen when when I see any of the the publishing surveys that are out there, there's, there's not less people engaging in print. There actually, I've seen some studies that have said there's more. The issue is, is that they can't find advertising to support it. That's those are media companies. So you don't have that problem. If you're a content marketer, you don't have to get advertising, right? You have to show your return in other ways. 
And so maybe there's an opportunity to test out one of those ideas there for you. Yeah, not uh, no doubt about it. No Perfect. doubt about it. Well, from from things that are content marketing to things that aren't content marketing, our next news item comes from uh, well, the site that it, I found this blog on was businesstocommunity.com. And this article is, uh, you know, this is a really interesting article. It comes from, um, authored by a guy by the name of John Miller from a company called Scribewise. So not to be confused with the John Miller, who's the founder and uh, I think CMO of Marketo. Um, This article was a really interesting one for me because he basically goes through all of these examples of what they and their company, he and his company, I guess, um, decide that aren't content marketing. And the, the challenge I have with it, you know, it, I, I guess in a way it's a, it's a good article because he goes through and talks about all of the things, you know, that aren't content marketing. But he basically is comparing apples to oranges here for me. I mean, he basically says that press releases aren't uh, content marketing. Advertising isn't content marketing. Email, it's a great way to promote content marketing, but it's not content marketing. Social media isn't content marketing. And to me, I just look at that and I go, once again, we are making the classic mistake of separating out content marketing from marketing. It's something that gets infused into what you're doing. It's not separate and distinct from. It's not a distinct thing. It's an approach. It's a process that gets infused into your business strategy. And so, yes, press releases can be content marketing if they are used in a content marketing type of way. Advertising, email marketing, they're all content marketing enabled, if that's the right way to even think about it. And so I hate when we sort of say these tactics aren't content marketing because they're old. And this is content marketing because it's new. Because, and to the basically to the spirit of this show, it's, you know, we're, 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 we're taking content and infusing it into what we're doing as a new approach, really. So I'm mean, gonna I get off on a rant on it, but but it's it's anyway. I know I see, I see your, your I, I see your point a hundred percent. I think you can read into this. I think you could also read into this article that that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to just make the say that there's been so many people, and and actually you and I have received quite a few emails recently from people that are have a lot of confusion. Like Joe, Robert, tell me, is this content marketing? Because somebody's saying it's not. And is this right. content marketing? So it's it's because there's a lot of confusion about what content marketing is, and that's completely fine. There is, um, but I get it because he's saying a lot of people think that just because it's content today, because there's a, there are a lot of people and, and uses our research at the beginning where we say basically nine out of ten marketers say they use content marketing. I'll be the first one to admit that a lot of those people that fill out those surveys that say this we do content marketing don't really know what content marketing is. You know what? Yes. That's, I completely get it. And I would agree with that. I well, would agree with and that. And we ask the same question and say, how many of you have a documented content marketing strategy? Most people don't know what that is. So we're just trying to move the market along because we've been living in this paid media society for so long. And now we're saying, oh, we have these approaches, this new process that we could take. And we could, we don't have to pay for attention anymore if we don't want to. We could do it a different way. And that's where we're at. So I guess I see both sides. I completely see where you're coming from, how you could go this direction. I mean, the whole thing, and I'm in agreement where he says, look, Oreo dunk in the dark tweet. It's not really content marketing. I would call Agreed. that really, really clever advertising. Yeah, it's very clever advertising. Fantastic. I totally agree. And look, I don't, I don't want to, you look, I think if we, if I sat down with John over a beer or something like that, I, I would doubt very seriously we would disagree. Um, my only caution, I guess it's a cautionary tale, if you will, is that 
I, I, I see so much of this in the businesses that we go into where the CEO or the CMO will pull an article like this and show me and say, tell me how I build a content marketing department that is separate from my other marketing that I'm doing because I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do press releases or advertising and email, you know, and I don't get the whole social thing. And they pull out an article like this and they use it to say that they're separate and I want to make sure that I'm out there very, you know, as much as I can on my soapbox saying they're not separate. They're in, it's, it's infused into what you're doing. Well, and, they, and you're right. I mean, we've had the discussions with a lot of people that says, okay, I want to change my the way that I advertise. I want to change my direct mail programs. I want to go, you know, 100% into content marketing. And we're like, oh, please don't do that because you're right. going to completely ruin your company if you switched everything over now. Uh, because some of that might not need to be changed. There are still reasons we need to advertise. There are still reason, good reasons to use PR. I can't think of many, but there, <laughs> there are, <laughs> there are, there are still reasons to do that. There are still reasons to use direct mail. I mean, those there are still reasons to do that. But the the reason why I think there's this big shift to content marketing, and I've talked about this before, Tom, blue in this, blue in the face. We have wrongfully diversified our assets over the years where we've been so focused on paid media. So we've got this huge paid media bucket and we've got earned and owned over there and owned is so small and we've hadn't been paying much attention to it. Now, all of a sudden, because consumers are in control and we actually have the opportunity, there's no barriers to publishing today. We're saying, oh my gosh, we got to move all this paid over into owned. And no, you don't. What we need to do is we need to make it a little bit more equal. And we need to figure out we don't have a lot of the skill sets to do some of the stuff in content marketing that we need. So we need to change it up. But we don't just forget everything else that we're doing. I think that's exactly right. And so just to sort of put a cap on this, I mean, I think that's a great way to think about it, right? So, uh, you know, and again, I think if we sat down with John, he would totally agree with this. At least I hope he would. Where, you know, the idea of thinking about it in this sort of paid, owned, and earned media, you know, buckets – where there are, you know, in the traditional sort of three-circle Venn diagram, if you will, there are overlaps and there's sort of that middle center where you really, you know, sort of the, the mix of all of that where we want to sort of center our strategy and then use the overlap pieces to sort of promote each other and build and aggregate that audience we can. I think that's the way to think about it instead of sort of these separate tactics that only have one particular purpose. You know, advertising doesn't have one particular purpose. Neither does email or social media or press releases. They all can have overlapping focuses or foci <laughs> on your different kinds of paid, owned, and earned media strategy. Foci? And big hat tip. What, yeah, foci. What right? are you, you know? talking about, man? I have man. no are idea. Drink, you're not supposed I, to be I, drinking no, this I'm early not, in the I day. To, I told you it was going to be a funky <laughs> show, man. I told you it was going to be funky. Here we go. All uh, right. Maybe we should just move along. Well, you know, I, I have to say this because, we, of course, we have to completely bury the dead horse here. But I just kill it. <laughs> Um, the one thing I would say is when there's usually a question that we get about what uh, what, what constitutes a content marketing approach and what doesn't, it's this, this can, campaign versus consistency. I think that's right. really, that's exactly really right. important. That's I just exactly want people right. to make sure that they're listening. If you think about, oh, when, when I'm calling out somebody, I'm saying they're not doing content marketing. It's because they're doing something that's time-based, that they're trying to get uh, the most out of it at that particular time. Think about something like a viral video or the, you know, the Oreo tweet or something like that, where it may have it's, it's, it may be clever. It may have a, a storyline through it. It may actually be, be important and useful content, 
but it's not something that goes on forever. It's actually part of a campaign. And I think the best content marketing approaches out there, just like a media company would, is something that goes on and on. It's not time-based. It's not a campaign. So whenever you hear content campaign, that's sort of the, you know, you should be sending off a buzzer inside your head and say, ah, that, there might be a problem there. That might not be content marketing. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from the from the what is not content marketing to the next phase of content marketing. Oh, so man. Last, Here we uh, go. Yeah, our yes. last news item is from Search Engine Watch. Uh, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes here. And basically, the title of the post by a guy by the name of Nathan Safran is uh, How Content Marketing is Changing What We Can Do to Be Ready. And this was an interesting article because I think ultimately it, it, it came up with some really good advice, if not sort of like, yeah, that's – Right, you should be doing like like you were saying earlier, table stakes, right? So, I mean, he basically outlines two big problems today. One of which I'm not sure is is really a problem, but anyway, what he says is that CMOS right now one number one can't measure, right? They don't know how to measure very well. And I've talked at nauseum about you know the 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 the, the fact that marketers are struggling with measurement right now. In fact, I just did the talk at Content Tech, you know, about that exact challenge, and. That's, that's really an issue. And then the second one, which is a really interesting one, he says a big problem is aligning content to the buyer's journey. And to me, it's not like, okay, go on. you know. And Because to me, like aligning content to the buyer's journey is a little bit like saying one of the problems that airline pilots have is flying. You know, It's kind of core to the whole concept here. If we're trying to align content to what our buyers are interested in or what audiences are generally interested in. So he's basically saying that the next generation of content marketing is going to be measuring across all these different customer segments. And I think that's great advice. I really do. I think it's great advice. But it's kind of like, okay, welcome, right? <laughs> you know, let's come on in. <laughs> the yeah. water's really warm in here. So we're glad that you, glad that you could bring some, uh, you know, a six-pack of beer to the event. Well, I guess. You my, well, my my question for you is: When I read through this, I kept thinking about your uh, maturity scale that you put together, and I, I would you talk about that a little bit because I think there's something. For some reason, you think that all companies have to go and do all these because he says, "Oh, we have to first phase is appear in search listings, and like so, I guess would be sort of an inbound marketing type of mentality. And second thing is we connect with our audience, build subscribers, and so he goes through the whole thing, which is all fine. But I guess the one thing that I have to caution on is the fact that this is not necessarily a phase that every com- phases in like a structured way to go that everybody wants to go. I think that you can actually choose <laughs> and say, well, this makes sense. This is our content marketing approach here. And we are going to solve the other areas of uh, in the sales process through this means and this means not necessarily content marketing. And don't you say that if on the, your maturity scale, you could actually choose and say, look, I don't want to go there yet, or maybe I'm not going to go there. And this is how we're going to, to, you know, tell our story in this way. I mean, can you kind of go through that a little bit? Well, exactly. So, I mean, you know, so um, that, that's exactly right. And it's why I, quite frankly, don't call it a maturity scale. Um, oh, then I, you know, I'm it, sorry. Yeah, what do you call well, because it? Well, you know, because, because by calling it a maturity scale, you're assuming that there's a lot, that there's levels of maturity to it, right? And I think exactly to your point, that's why I call them the four archetypes, right? And, yeah. and, and, it's, and it's very similar to the way we also present um, you know the 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 sort of seven step plan that we have for you know the way it's the way we organize our online training. It's quite frankly the way we organize the website. It's what we've really come up with in terms of an organizing principle 
around co- the content marketing process, which is a, it's a framework, right? It's a you know it's a as we like to say it's a it's a form, not a formula, and it's not you know so it, you don't start with plan and end with you know measurement, and then it's this sort of linear cycle. In the same way, a content creation or content marketing strategy. You can very just to your exactly to your point. You can go right into thoughtful, really utilitarian to use the J Bear term, utility type content that is useful for your audience, and that will be the way that you go to market with content for that particular part of the buying journey. You will never ever do the sort of inbound, high awareness, high velocity, big content blog. You know, top ten reasons to do this because you're not trying to generate that kind of awareness. Yep. You're only just exactly to the example we used earlier with the financial services company, the book club. They don't get their customers through Google. They don't get their customers through random searches. All of their new customers come through word of mouth. And so, doing something high velocity for general brand awareness is just silly for them. Yep. But instead, focusing on really thoughtful, small, niche-focused content for their very particular user is an extraordinary valuable thing for them. Well, that's where I think when we talk about getting some kind of a plan together, content marketing strategy exactly. together, and I, this is, you know, I always say, I don't care if you, if you scratch it out on a cocktail napkin. I really don't care. The most important thing is it's not going to help you decide what to do. It will help you decide what not to do. That's the most important thing because I hear from CMOs every day. We tell, oh, we're we're inundated, or or content marketing directors say, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're we're creating uh, all these new articles, 50 articles a day, we're just pounding them out here or there and whatever. It's just getting overwhelming. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Because you can? And like I asked somebody the other day uh, that was hardcore B2B. Um, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to give it away. But came to the uh, the basically the we finally came to the realization that they didn't know why they were on Facebook. They were creating all this content for Facebook to target a group on Facebook. And I'm like, why are you on Facebook? And we actually said, this, she said, I don't, I actually don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, right. well, great, you can have some kind of a presence there. But you don't have to put so many content assets around Facebook. Let's focus or on any or any. Yeah, let's let's focus on uh, some of our own content assets, like we talked about last week. Like, don't build on rented land. It's the same thing. I mean, it, the the way into Facebook now, if you're actually going to do anything on Facebook, might just be advertising. By the way, to direct people to your own content. If you're going to do that, or maybe there's no play at all. And actually, I, I think more and more as we talk to more marketers. That's becoming a complete reality, which as a, I think we talked about this last week, but as a Facebook shareholder, I'm a little concerned about. I'm concerned about the fact, I just taught a class at Case Western Reserve University, and I always ask this because I'm really interested in what the kids are doing. So I'm like, what are you guys doing right now? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Snapchat? Are you on Twitter? Hardly anybody. These are, you know, 18 to 22, hardly anybody's on Facebook. I mean, that, unbelievable. Because once their parents and grandparents got on, it's no fun anymore, right? That's right. They're on something. That's right. What are they on? They're heavy, heavy on Twitter, and they're really starting to get into Snapchat. So it's just interesting to see where things are going. And I think we've had this belief with brands that, we oh, we've got to have a content marketing strategy for Facebook or a content plan for Facebook. And I'm like, no, no, you don't. Let's get a plan in order and then have, create that why. So I, we always talk about once we go through that. Create the why list, all those areas that you're in, Facebook, all the places you're creating content for. Facebook, yep. Twitter, 
God, if it's Snapchat, I don't know. Uh, your your <laughs> blog, your in-person event, your e-newsletter, just list them all. You you know, the average enterprise company has 17. So you list yeah. all those down there and then put a big Y at the top. And it's a great exercise for your marketing team to see if you actually know what the reason is you're creating content for all those channels. I bet you, I bet you, you two or three of those you don't know. Yeah. I would I, I would I would hazard a guess and say that's exactly right. I mean, to me, the next phase of content marketing, if we went, if we, if we want to talk about that, you know, from my experience of working with the brands that we do, the next phase of content marketing are for companies to understand and give weight to the actual content creation process. In other words, right now in most businesses, content is everybody and nobody's job. It's the kind of thing that just we just sort of hope happens. And, be, and it's because most organizations haven't given their employees the freedom and the responsibility to actually create content as a business asset, as, as a content marketing approach. And I think that's the next phase is yep. actually businesses understanding that this is something that they want to do. And we stop acting like media companies and we start becoming media companies. Well, you know, wait, this, this is – well, you're blowing my mind, man. This is, crit- this is so critical. We've got to stop here because <laughs> this um, – I think a lot of brands think that if they want to get into content marketing, they actually have to create a content marketing position. That's not true. You can do that. That's absolutely right. But but it's not true. What you have to do, and you just said this, I'm going to say it again because it's so important. You have to make sure somebody's accountable for it. You don't right. have to say that you are the co- chief content officer, but you have to make uh, Kathy Button Bell of uh, chief marketing officer at Emerson. She said this really well when she was talking about content marketing. And she said for Emerson, if there's ever something in the organization and somebody's not accountable for it, it's not important. So in your organization, if nobody at the end of the day is accountable for content marketing, it's probably not important. I think that's where you say everybody and nobody. That's yeah. where it's really critical. Exactly so I think right. if you're listening to this, small company or large company, you just have to ask yourself, who's accountable? You don't have to necessarily create a new position. Sometimes that'll be chief marketing officer, uh, marketing communications manager. could be a number of different people. You may at a later point need some content marketing roles, but right now just figure out who's accountable for it at the end of the day, and then we can start to create a plan and a process and execute behind it. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, that moves us into our, not that we haven't been doing it already, but it moves us into our favorite part of the show, our rants and rave section, where Joe and I actually talk a little bit about something that's either really bugging us and getting under our skin and rant about it, or something that we absolutely love and we rant. And we actually both picked the same rant today. Now we're in trouble. Now we are in trouble. People might want to turn down the volume, or you might want to go away for a while. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this was something that got us both like up in arms, um, and you know, and the funny thing is, we have one sentence of this. We don't even understand the full ramifications of what this thing is. Why don't, uh, do you want me to tee this up, or do you want to tee this up? Uh, go ahead, go ahead and tee it up, and then I've got a take on it, and then I'd want yours as well. So go ahead. All right. Well, there's a guy by the name of Chuck Richard. He is a analyst um, and senior guy at Outsell. And just by, as a quick, I want to just say very quickly here. We got, I don't know, five, six emails from various people across the week once this came out. That, um, But nobody sent us the report. Nobody's done anything untoward. So if there's anybody from Outsell, no one has believed. So we actually haven't seen the deliverable here yet because we are not subscribers to the Outsell uh, subscription, which is a premium uh, analyst type of uh, subscription. So all we know is what we've been told is in this thing and what we can see by the public, what's on the public website. And basically, 
basically the title of the report is, can we all just agree to drop the phrase content marketing? And the sentence that basically he tees this up with is he says, it, this is a quote now, it's a truism that there is no marketing without content. Okay, I'm, first of all, you lost me there, because, but, but anyway, I'm going to keep going. There are many ways of creating, delivering, and engaging with people using all forms of content. That's just the definition of marketing, period. It's time to just drop the adjective content. So first of all, <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, it's not the definition of marketing. <laughs> it's definitely not the definition of marketing, but I'll just stop there for a second. Um, having been a marketing guy for, you know, 25 years, showing my age. But the idea, though, so first first of all, just for my little rant here, the, the, the entire theme of this show is this old marketing. No one in content marketing, at least not from this side of the microphone, has ever said that content marketing is new or that it's, you know, that, that, that what we're talking, in fact, we've talked this show about how it's something that is infused into your marketing practice. It is an approach, but it is different. It is a different approach. It is a new muscle. Becoming a media organization, becoming a content-producing media organization within the conceit of your own business is a new process for businesses. It is not the traditional marketing practice. It is a new approach. And so it is just silly to think about that as marketing more generally because there are traditional marketing practices that are all well and good today. They are all classic. They're proven. They're well-worn. They're, they provide high ROI, advertising, PR, uh, you know, all direct marketing, word of mouth marketing. All of that stuff is true and, and, is, and, is, and is great marketing, but it is different than content marketing. And so I just disagree that, that we need to drop the adjective content. And I, you know, anyway, that's, that's, that's my take on it. Well, first of all, the definition of marketing, and I just had to look it up here while we were having this discussion, the action or business of promoting and selling products or services, including market research and advertising. I mean, whatever. You can, I mean, you're basically, you, it's, the, it's the idea of we want to sell more stuff. And how right. are we going to do that? That's through marketing. Has nothing to do with content necessarily. Right. It could, but it doesn't. So the fr- you just lost me at the at the first one. The second thing is I'm going to go back to the title because, as you said, we don't have a lot to to work on. But obviously, Chuck Richard has a and, and I like Chuck a lot. By the way, I know Chuck. Um, he he's got a, an issue with the phrase content marketing, and I got to take you. I, I got to take this back a little bit because if there's anybody responsible. For the term content marketing, I'm probably one of the the key people that you can blame if you don't like the phrase. I'm going to tell you the reason why we chose to go with content marketing because it's really important. And I'm going to take you back to the year 2001. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We could have inserted some music, but I like yours better. Thank you. 2001, I was selling content marketing. Custom media at the time, custom publishing services for a large business-to-business uh, publishing company called Penton Media. So basically, when people didn't want to buy advertising or sponsorship, they shot them over the wall to us, and we were trying to sell them uh, email newsletter programs and webinar programs and custom magazine programs and whatnot. And so I, we called on all kinds of – just think of the top – business-to-business companies around the world, and that's who we called on. And I talked to mostly chief marketing officers or or VPs of marketing and sales. And when you went in, and I went in to talk to these people, 
they didn't know what we were talking about. It was purely education. I couldn't sell anything because we had to first educate them on what the heck we were talking about. Because by the as we were just talking about, they were living in the world of trade shows and direct marketing and paid media and the stuff that we've been doing for the last 50 years. They didn't know if they did content marketing. They didn't know what it was called or they sort of had an idea. So everyone we went into, they called it something different. Some people did call it brand journalism because they called it that portion of it. Some people called it custom media. Some people called it custom publishing. Some people called it customer media. Some people called it custom content. Lots, and some people called it just integrated marketing. So there was a lot. There were lots of roles in the organization calling it everything. And I, everywhere I went, I had to call it something different because I didn't know what they called it. And what we realized as we kept going in, I kept making these sales calls and going through this thing, we were never going to grow as a discipline unless we started to talk the same language. And as I kept going and saying, and I used everyone, and I used, sometimes I use custom publishing, sometimes I use custom media, content marketing was the only one that kind of got the CMOs to sort of sit up in their seat a little bit. That's the only one they got, because by the way, we're marketers, we're simple people. And I can say that because I'm a marketer. And so if you, you have to actually put marketing in the title. If you want right. marketers to pay attention, you better put marketing in the title. So whatever we're talking about right now, it's got to have marketing in it or marketers are not going to talk about it. That's why direct marketing works, right? Marketing's in the title, right? Social media has been added marketing to it because the marketing people said, I can't do social media. It's got to be marketing. Social media, <laughs> marketing to it. So we've got to figure, look, we've, we're working with these people. They speak in marketing. They live in marketing. We've got to call it marketing. Content marketing was the only one out of all we, that, we, that people actually said, yes, we do that. I get it. Maybe they didn't have a full idea what we were talking about, but at least we could continue the conversation. And that's why in 2007 we came out with, yes, we're going to go this direction. We're going to call it content marketing because I really believe the industry will organize around that. And that's why I think that's one of the reasons why it's happened. And that's why custom media and custom content and custom publishing hasn't worked because, it, because marketers don't relate to that. So to Chuck, to your point, I see what you're trying to do. There is absolutely a lot of confusion around content marketing. That's why Content Marketing Institute is here. We're trying to get rid of some of that confusion. But I can absolutely tell you right now, and if somebody slapped me in the face with a new term that worked better, I'd be, we, Robert and I would be the first one to go out and say, look, we're going to stop calling it content marketing. We're going to call it something else. But right now, there is not a better phrase that exists. And I will continue to go around the world talking about how we need to use content marketing because that's the only way we can communicate effectively and learn from each other. And that's all I've got. Um, here, here, yeah. my friend. Here, here. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. And I'm sorry I took the entire rant. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. It was great. It was absolutely great. Well, speaking of content marketing, why don't we quickly do our this old marketing example? I didn't leave much room for this old marketing, but I, I did want to land, and we'll put this in the show notes. Um, sort of one of the purest forms of content marketing is is education. So actually putting together a training university, and we've got a great example here uh, from Schneider Electric and Schneider, a big billion dollar company, they actually have something called Energy University. And what I love about this, Robert, they've had this going since I believe 2004. They started it was it used to wow. be called Data Center University. Now it's called Energy University. Listen to this: 350,000 active users in Energy University. And by the way, it's not just there is some 
uh, Schneider Electric product stuff in there, but most of it is about truly educating them about the industry, vendor neutral resources on energy efficiency, really helping these people live better lives, get better jobs, those types of things. They transcribe it into, translate it into 13 different languages, and it is a majority of their leads in some cases come from energy universities. So you don't think about that often, right? You think about, wow, could we create a university and actually be a lead gen platform? And actually in this case, it is. And there's actually, let me see, one, two, three, there's 12 different steps that Lorna from um, Schneider uh, Electric put together. And I will send this in the notes, it's great. And by the way, she's speaking at Content Marketing World on this exact topic, which is why I picked this. It's it's just fantastic. I'll put it in the show notes as well. But just, I, I think again, just like there is in print, I think there's an opportunity to look back and see, well, can we really be the trusted educational resource for our customers? And today with all the different, as you know, I mean, you, you were the one that put together CMI's online training platform. There are a lot of different platforms out there. It's more possible than ever before. Uh, so maybe there's an opportunity for brands. I don't know if you have a take on any of that, but uh. I, other than to say that it's I, I've watched I've watched this happen. You know, not only with Schneider Electric, but you know, with just so many different organizations that are really focusing on education and an education platform. You know, not only just with an online training or online development, but just you know, I mean, pure education is just is just a wonderful thing. So, ha- I mean, hats off to them. I mean, it's just a it's just a wonderful program. And I think we've taken up enough time. <laughs> exactly. So, so <laughs> where are you next week? Are you where? where what are you doing next week? Or, uh, or laying a little bit low until uh, you and I meet up in uh, Sydney, Australia, for Content Marketing World Sydney. Uh, we're really starting to get the registrations in now, so it's fantastic. We should see about double. Uh, the size of what we had in 2013 so that's fantastic and then you and i are both going over to we got to give a plug to our friends in uh content marketing uh for content marketing asia so right after that you and i are flying to singapore april 8th so the 31st of march content marketing world sydney comes that's that'll be fantastic hope to see you there if you want to just see robert and i uh, and a few other of our friends you can see us in singapore april 8th and so i think that we might actually have to figure out our first live, like maybe live audience show for PNR. I mean, we'll, maybe it's going to be op- interesting. Yeah, we're going to have to figure that stuff out for sure. We, we, I don't even know if you and I can do it in the same room. We're going to have to, like, <laughs> we're going to have to do it in separate <laughs> hotel rooms or something because we can't look at each other. Right, we'll start laughing. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or, you know, send an email, thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number 17. Also, if you like this episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. This Old Marketing.